I want to go to 1 John chapter 5 this morning. Um, I'll acknowledge up front that there are a few things in it that I don't fully understand, but there's enough in there for us to glean anyway that uh, be valuable. 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is one of those family statements for us, right? There's a declaration that if we love God, love his Son, that we also love those who love him as well, because we've all been born into the same family. There's something about our immediate families that we tend to tolerate a whole lot more with them and still are in this deep commitment to love them, right? I mean, there are things that go on at home that you wouldn't tolerate outside of home, but you still have this commitment to that person whether you um, accept what they're doing or not. And in some ways, this declaration is about the body of Christ as well. When he pulls us in the family, he says, if this person's been born of God, you've been born of God, you're really in the same family. And so there's this commitment to loving one another that has that depth of family-style relationship. It's a powerful idea, you know, to just keep chewing on that and saying, I really truly need to be committed to these people that I know that love Christ. And there are times when they do things that I think are boneheaded, and, and yet I'm committed to them. And maybe they even see me doing some things they don't like, believe it or not, right? <laughs> that's, that's part of what we pull into, though, when we acknowledge Christ. It goes on to say, this we know, we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. This linking of obedience and love doesn't separate itself in John's writings. Even though he writes over and over of love, the idea of obedience attached to that is, is very important for us to grasp. And so it isn't just a spilling of love or everything that is interpreted as a loving action but it's done in the context of obedience to Christ. And sometimes, you know, you get these things, you go, oh, that's a really good idea, right? And lots of ideas come up. So how do you evaluate which things to do? And somehow there has to be this acknowledgement that the voice of God is willing to speak into situations, and he helps us choose what are appropriate loving actions for us. And it isn't just someone else saying, well, this is what love looks like. You do this. But there's an awareness that he speaks into our hearts. Um, I had a, <laughs> I guess by dwelling in this book for several weeks, and um, it, it spilled over into application for me in a way that I didn't anticipate. Uh, we, we took this trip, and... Um, Usually, Char and I will get books on tape and we'll listen to them. That way, I can just kind of disengage, keep the car on the road, and, and time flies. And we do that regularly. Well, this last time, we picked up a book, 16 tapes. So that's a lot of driving, right? We're nine tapes into it, and I'm going, they're using God's name a lot in this book. 
You know, people drop F-bombs now and then in a book, and I just kind of blow it off. And I try to fast forward if there's an essential scene. You know, we've, we've got our system down. But this really began to haunt me that, you know, I'm all about saying I love Jesus and I love you, Lord. And, you know, when I pray, you know, I love you, God. And, and then I'm listening to this cursing, using his name, and this tension starts really pounding. And, of course, knowing me, I'm nine tapes into it, and I hate quitting anything halfway through. It's just, you know, but I, I can't ignore it. And, and, and finally, I just say, well, let's listen to the last chapter, see who did what, and be done with this thing. But, you know, those, those promptings, it's not as if that law comes and you go, oh, man. But it's that thing of what I have in him is precious enough and the love that I sense with him and the connection with him is important enough that I don't want to do anything to violate that. And so at times it affects, you know, just things that we have let slide for a long time. You know, truthfully, it, if we shut off books as often on it, was Char going, I don't like this, you know. <laughs> Me going, well, it's action, let's, you know. But at some point, you know, each of us has to sort through what, what is this application of the love of God about? And what is this obedience to his commands? And when, does, when he speaks to us, am I actually willing to change direction? Because it, it often comes across in applications that are that simple. But it's important to respond when he speaks. And the beauty of it is that as we do, then we continue to leave the door open for interaction and wonder, you know, as he does speak life to us. I'll let you figure out your own ways of applying similar things. I mean, when I go back, I, you know, in the Old Testament, I know that in regard to the name of God, you know, shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, they wouldn't write it down or the name that they had for him, they, they, would, they would use symbols to, to, to infer, but they, they wouldn't actually write, or they wouldn't even speak. So, I mean, their carefulness that way was amazing. Whereas we have had a new covenant opened up to us, and it's, it's opened the door to Jesus, our brother, and Jesus, our friend, God, our Father. You know, all of that is, is part of New Testament thinking. But it's, it's appropriate not to be sloppy, so to speak. Okay, that said, I want to move on. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So the writer here, again, is saying we are attached to a spiritual conflict or battle. It really doesn't matter how, whether you want to be in this or not, it's part of it. But the beauty of this particular passage is he says, we have an opportunity to be victorious. We have an opportunity to overcome sin. Given to us is the power in Christ to make life changes that, that get rid of filthiness. And that's a, that's a wonder. 
know, you, you can read this and say, well, I haven't overcome everything. You know, I, I guess you can take any great statement and, and make it miserable if you want. But really the beauty of this is, is that we have a power through Christ to overcome. And it can be appropriated for us if, if we'll embrace it. And so we can point to things that we've changed as a result of Christ in our lives. That said, here's one of the verses that gives me some fits. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree. I'm not quite sure what he means by water and blood. I, uh, I know what the, the commentators say. <laughs> that's, that's simple enough. I, I, anybody can read. But trying to lock it in and just say, this is it, I wish I could tell you that. Um, there, is, there is reference to, in John's gospel only, when Jesus dies, the spear is thrust into his side and out comes water and blood. And it's the only gospel that references that, but he refers back to the Old Testament prophecies. One in Psalms 34, and then one in Zechariah. And the idea is that none of his bones will be broken, his side will be pierced, and yet in the telling of the story of the crucifixion, it was unusual that the legs weren't broken so that the men would die quickly. But Jesus didn't have his broken because he had already died. And so that's, that's one of the interpretations of this passage in regard to water and blood. The other that people have clung to is that, you know, when you have the, the baptism in water, which is one of our rites, right? Embracing salvation, the purification, the commitment of that in, in the new covenant. Jesus, uh, God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. Well, please, you know, there's a declaration over that. I look at the crucifixion and I go, God's spoken that as well. When, when the land is dark for three hours and there's an earthquake and, and the veil is rent from top to bottom, a four-inch thick piece of 12-foot high cloth torn apart, and then the people are coming out of the graves, that's God speaking to me. But also then the spirit that Jesus has said, wait until you receive this power. And of course in Acts 2 we see a baptism of the spirit where it's poured out on, on them. And, and you know, this, this awareness of, uh, of, this, you know, of, of these dynamics, I guess to me it, it, there's a beauty of this, even though I'd say I wish I could conclusively tell you it's exactly this. Either way you interpret it, it's wonderful. <laughs> but John's saying there's a testimony that the Father gives, and he, and he hones in on this thing of the Spirit, and he, and he takes it a little further. Um, he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Now, he's, he is taking this testimony and saying, what is going to be provided out of this? And he goes on and says, it's eternal life, and this is the life in his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. 
How wonderful it is that the, the Spirit of God has been given to us. Jesus said, I've got to go away so the Spirit can be sent to you. The Father is going to send you a helper. And he makes this declaration. He says, he's going to lead you into all truth. And one of the things that opens a door for us when we participate in salvation is that the Spirit of God speaks into our lives and, and guides our steps. As we call out to him, we have opportunity to walk by his direction. What a privilege that is. It says, whoever has the Son has life, does not have the Son, does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So he makes this declaration that the Son of God is extremely important to this process, right? This is not a every religion is fine statement. This is a statement that says the Son of God is crucial to our belief. The Son of God is the linchpin to all that we hang on to. He says, if you have the Son of God, you have life. Incredible declaration. Here's another statement coming up again. I think you ought to see this next statement with encouragement and hope rather than saying, I don't fully, I'm not there yet. And this is the confidence we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the requests that we have asked of him. I see this as a, a statement of incredible potential, a statement of incredible opportunity. If I understand the will of the Father and I, and I call out asking for his desires to be fulfilled, what's it said? It's going to take place. Now, all of us have had unanswered prayers, right? But half my prayers are about the temporal God, I need more widgets, you know, and this and this and this. And I'm not necessarily seeing it from his perspective. And even, you know, when, when I see what happened in the lives of the New Testament believers in regard to suffering and sacrifice, and I'm going, I really would like God to provide comfort and cushion, My mind's not wired into the eternal as much as the temporal in those moments. But still, when I read this and acknowledge there is this declaration that when I understand His will and I call out, there's an opportunity to see life happen in a good way. Now, this... He goes on into an application that, again, causes me some issue. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. What do you mean? Sins that lead to death, sins that are okay. Or, or, you know, that, that whole tension gnaws on me some because I don't fully understand it. But... The immediate application that should be easiest to grab onto in this is saying that when we see somebody who is doing something stupid, 
we ought to be calling out to God and say, God, restore them. Bring life. Bring health into that situation. I mean, isn't that the obvious application of this? So one of the prayers that we ought to be cultivating regularly is calling out to the Lord for others when we see them doing things that don't work. That much I can grab onto. I, I mean, I can point to a situation this week where I'm saying, God, this person is driving me nuts with their behavior. Not in my, <laughs> not in my immediate family, thank you very much. <laughs> Make that plain. I wouldn't be telling you about that prayer, even if it did happen. <laughs> and a couple days later, I hear a story of things being resolved. And I'm going, I need to give thanks in this moment. I called out. There was the answer that I was desiring that took place. I'm reluctant. To, oh, I, I did that in prayer. <laughs> You know, we, we tend to push it aside, but the obvious is the declaration that God is willing to work through our prayer. John, in his gospel, makes several declarations this way. In John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. He's quoting Jesus, but John's recording this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So John's honed into something and say, this was part of Jesus' teaching. And as powerful as Jesus was in miracle and deed and affecting the kingdom of God, he says that same opportunity is being invested into our lives if we'll respond to him. In John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, again, Jesus speaking, but John recording, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He says, when prayers are answered, God is glorified. So this is to God's honor that prayers are answered. And so we keep that in mind. And we say, develop in us a heart that has eternity in mind and understands the Father and His will, that we can pray with effectiveness. It's not just a, well, if I pray enough prayers, maybe 30% will get answered. That's not the key. Or if I keep praying, you know, He's bound to wear down and give me something. It's the wrong perspective but to acknowledge that God is glorified through answered prayer and His kingdom being lived out on earth so that he, it's His desire to work through our lives. But it's that pulling things, you know, getting our minds off the temporal and connected to what's truly important. Just a, a side note into the idea of sins that lead to death. We're not used to talking about that. Like Charlie mentioned earlier, we're a very polite society. You don't bring up things like that. It could cause trouble, right? But Jesus spoke of 
blasphemy of the Holy Spirit being an unforgivable sin. He's done that when the, when the, uh, the, the religious leaders are saying what he's doing is, is of the devil. And I think the idea of that is, is if we blame the work of God on the devil or we refuse the voice of God and call it the devil, how can we hear God's salvation word into our lives? It's impossible. So it's, it's very crucial that we don't step into calling the things of God things of Satan, right? That, that's obvious from that passage. But then there are other things that took place. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, their hypocrisy brought an immediate death. Paul's writings uh, regarding the Lord's Supper. He goes, a man ought to examine himself before he eats and drinks, so he doesn't eat and drink unworthily. And his point is that you turn it into a sham if you're just, um, you know, participating in this so everybody can see you participating, and it's fine, but your heart isn't set free in him. And and so he says, because of this, some slumber and sleep. And and the idea presented is some have died connected to this. So, uh, again, it may be one of those things that we're not used to talking, we're not used to even thinking, it's not in our paradigm, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't a part of the New Testament thinking or a part of their understanding. We do well to, to examine and just say, I don't want to walk in hypocrisy. I don't want to walk calling the things of God kings of Satan, the things of Satan. We, we must be careful when the voice of God speaks into our heart and says, oh, that was just, I must have had an upset stomach. You know? But rather we, we cultivate that understanding of his voice and respond to him. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, or see, who is born of God protects him, and, every, and the evil one does not touch him. So again, this is one of those encouraging statements that says there is a protection over our lives that allows us to walk in victory in God. The enemy does not have the right to destroy us. Now, our flesh at times gets beat to pieces, right? But there's still an awareness that God is not out of those events. And that the truth is that God's victory is assured in us at the end of the day. And the hope of eternity lives strong in our hearts. So there's this powerful awareness of the protection of God being a part of what we've stepped into when we were born of him. Beautiful thing. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his Son, Jesus Christ, he's the true God and eternal life. So again, this beautiful declaration that we have stepped into something very precious and that it is, eternal life is included with it. Powerful, powerful thing. 
Now, the last verse of 1 John, <laughs> I wish he'd have gotten a little wordier. For all my complaining, <laughs> he leaves it on a short note. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Done. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> a good thought. <laughs> I, uh, I will note that John is associated with the city of Ephesus. And with it, uh, idolatry was immense. The goddess Diana, Artemis, uh, attached to that city. Uh, attached with such things, uh, in some ways, free food and sex. And, uh, I mean, those idols are still about us today, right? And it's one of those things that bears considering and saying, Often I stepping into junk just because there, there is a, a freedom attached to this. But uh, he, he just throws out this warning saying, you've been given something precious. You've been offered this opportunity to overcome. You have the privilege of a, of a victorious life. You are born into a family of God. You know, all of these wonderful, wonderful things. And at the very end he said, be careful of the distractions. Be careful of the things that can kind of siphon off your attention. Then he concludes with it. Let's stand and go to the Lord in prayer. We thank you for this book that speaks life to us. It's challenging to us that draws us to you. We pray that our lives truly would reflect your love in a way that we love others powerfully. We pray that we will walk in obedience to you. We pray that victory and overcoming of sin would mark our lives. We ask, Lord, that you will develop strength in prayer in our lives, that we would understand what's available to us in you and seek it out with all our hearts. We do love you this day. Amen.